0: Delegation. It's an essential management skill, but one a lot of us struggle with. In this episode, a simple process to delegate effectively for results while developing the talents of others. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 413. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. One of the key skills leaders and managers are called upon to do is to delegate, it is a skill that many of us struggle with. It is one a lot of us have not been taught how to do well. We've learned in many cases a bit by trial by fire uh, in delegating well, and today I am so glad we're putting the attention of this episode to how to delegate effectively. Uh, If that's something you also have struggled with a bit, or perhaps you're in the process of leading others who need to learn this skill as well, I know today's guest is gonna be uh, very insightful for you. I'm so glad to welcome back to the show, Hassan Osman. Hassan is a project management office leader at Cisco, where he leads a team of over 150 project and program managers on delivering complex projects across the world. He's also served as a management consultant at Ernst & Young, now EY, where he led projects and programs for the largest enterprises. He's the author of several books for leaders, and most recently, the book Effective Delegation of Authority, a really short book for new managers about how to delegate work using a simple delegation process. San, so glad to have you back on the show. Hey, Dave. Thank you so much for having me back. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, indeed. So now that we're reconnecting, I got to tell you, I've got a little bit of a beef with you. And the beef (laughs) is this word new in the title of the book. You say a short book for new managers. And the interesting thing is that I've run into so many situations myself too, where as, as experienced managers, we struggle with delegation. Have you seen that too?
1: I have. I have. And I'm glad you pointed that out because I did get some feedback about the book from people who read it and said, hey, it's not just for new managers, but uh, it certainly applies for experienced managers as well who want to get a refresher on the process and art of delegation. You know, joking aside, we have regular conversations within our academy
0: cohort sessions about delegation because this is something that is a struggle for a lot of us. And even if we've gotten okay at delegation at some points, then we run into issues with it. And I think maybe it's helpful to zero in on one of the quotes you have early in the book says, one of the main reasons why new managers don't delegate the right way is because they don't think through the tasks that they're going to assign ahead of time. And I read that and I thought, ah, oh, that's so true. I have, I have had that happen so many times myself. What have you seen that people
1: run into with issues on this? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, in in my experience, leading teams and managers who used to be individual contributors and grew into this role, new role of management, we usually pick the top performers, right? People who have done great work as, as individual contributors, and then they sort of graduate into management. And because of the nature of them being A-plus players and perfectionists and uh, top-notch individual contributors, their sort of mode of thinking is that everyone else is at at their same level, especially people that they start to manage as, as part of their subordinate team or their employees. And so a big issue with the first step of delegation before you start delegating is that some managers, particularly people who are just starting out, assume or make the mistake that they are in this brainstorming mode as opposed to the directive mode meaning that they start thinking about the task that they need to assign to their employee before actually assigning it and where this gets really confusing and all over the place where they're, where are they're subordinate is when they don't give enough time to think about what should i actually delegate to my employee before delegating it and the tip here, like the simple sort of takeaway is to think through what you need your employee to accomplish before asking them to do it. So it's, you know, simply filling in the blanks on the following sentence that I need my employee to, and then filling in the blanks on the outcome you want to achieve. So for example, I need my employee to complete the PowerPoint slides and update the financial spreadsheet of our monthly senior leadership meeting. Very simple to do, but sometimes As part of a new management philosophy, you go in and you're trying to think about what you want to delegate. Hassan, as you're saying that, I am
0: thinking back to times when someone has done that to me, where I can tell they're kind of thinking it through as they're describing what they wanted me to do in a particular situation. But I'm also recalling times I've done that to someone. Like I've been in the middle of a conversation, and because it's the first time I'm really talking it out loud to the other person... Then I start catching all these things of, oh, I didn't think about this. Oh, you're going to need this resource. Let me go grab that. Or, and, and the conversation goes uh, all kinds of different directions because I didn't take that time to actually – sometimes it's just five minutes of thinking through what are the seven or eight key points that I need to hit.
1: Absolutely. And you're not alone. I mean, a lot of us, particularly when we're starting out with a role of management is we're just bombarded with so many things every day. And so we delay kind of maybe putting the extra thought, those five minutes into a crisp statement of a directive of what we want our employees to do. And then sort of, you know, talk about some ideas while we're having a discussion with our employees. And this is dangerous because, you know, the problem is exacerbated because when coupled with the fact that employees usually won't question their manager's request because they want to avoid as being perceived as incompetent, that makes the problem worse. So, so they, they, they're they in a brainstorming session, but they perceive it as a directive and they don't want to look stupid in front of their leader. So they'd be like, well, I'll try to figure it out later on. So it is really important. And the onus is on the leader to make sure that they have a very crisp understanding of what they want first. Before they delegate it, how do you know how do you
0: know when you've done that work well? Because I think that this is probably something that a lot of us haven't done as consistently as we should. So you sit down and you spend those five or ten minutes and you kind of write out like, okay, here's what I think I, I want from you know person A uh, to accomplish. What's a good checkpoint to know that you've
1: articulated that in a way that's clear and concise? I would say, write it down sleep on it, and then read it the next day. And if it makes sense to you by putting on a hat of someone who's just completely new to what the task is, then you did a good job. If it does sound confusing or you think you left out some potential assumptions, then write those down as well before you actually meet with your subordinate. So getting clear on the
0: outcome, that's number one. And something that goes along with this, you talk about as well, is finding the right person. Ideally, we'd have a whole team of people that were all capable of doing everything and ready to be delegated any kind of task or responsibility. Of course, none of us have a team like that. What kind of considerations are you thinking about when you're making decisions about who you reach out
1: to to do particular types of tasks? So, two things. One is to look for what I call the right person role fit, right? So, you're looking for the harmony between an individual and the role that they're going to be assigned to. So, for example, if you have someone on your team who is detail-oriented, then they will do better with tasks that do require a high degree of attention to detail, like, for example, spreadsheet analysis. Whereas someone who is more on the big-picture thinking side, they would do better with creative tasks, like coming up, for example, with a go-to-market strategy or a marketing campaign. And so that person role fit is really important for you to think through before you delegate the task. The other thing is to look for natural leaders. So, you know, if the right person role fit is not 100% clear to you and, and it most probably won't be, then you do want to look for a natural leader who would frequently take sort of proactive action and usually go above and beyond their day-to-day duties. So, those employees are usually your high pose or high potentials and they are motivated to move up to the next level and develop their skill sets. So you can allow them to take on more responsibility by delegating tasks to them. Now, one thing I do want to point out, Dave, is that a lot of managers like to do extensive research on making sure that they assign tasks as optimally as possible. You know, They develop things like detailed matrices or assessments of traits like competence and passion, what have you. I personally don't do this because I think that level of analysis is way too much and it's not usually needed, particularly because you can tweak decisions later on, right? So a decision to delegate to a specific person or your team is not final. You can always adjust or tweak or what have you if you need to. And so I just go with my gut feel on that person role fit and the leadership capabilities and then go with that when determining who to delegate to on my team.
0: So you go through that process you're figuring out the what, you're figuring out the who. Ideally, in your mind, when, when you have a meeting and you delegate something and it goes really well and you get that person in
1: front of you, how does that go? What are some of the key elements? Yeah, so I'm glad you transitioned into that because just so that I explain to your listeners, the way I approach all business processes or management processes is I try to simplify them, right? So what do I do before Something, what I do what do I do during it and what do I do after it right So before delegating, I always like to cover what you just touched upon, which is to determine what to delegate right to, to know what you want and then to determine who to delegate to so who is the person you know the right person role fit as well as leaders on your team. When you move into the second step, which is during delegation, the first thing you want to do after you determine what you're going to delegate and who you're going to delegate to is to set up a short meeting with your subordinate. And whatever you do, do not send an email as a first step, right? particularly when you're first starting out as a manager Uh, or even the relationship with your subordinate. right? So even if you're an experienced manager, but you have someone who is completely new to your team, what you don't want to do is start that with email. And the, the reason why is because emails are very transactional modes of communication and they don't give you a good sense of whether your employee fully grasps the task, right? So uh, it is easy to become overwhelmed with a new role and, and default to emails. But when you start out, it's really important to set some time aside and have a verbal conversation. Uh, now, as you progress in your relationship, building trust over time, you can definitely move on to emails, but stick to meetings when you're first starting out.
0: What's a good path for that conversation to make sure that you hit the key elements and that the other party, employee, colleague, or whoever you're delegating to really has a
1: sense of what the outcome should be? So the takeaway here is to describe goals and not actions. That's, I think, the most important thing in delegating because a lot of managers make the mistake that they get too detailed and too prescriptive with their task assignments. And the way you do that is to focus on the what and not the how, Right. And this has an advantage of empowering your subordinate to own the task and allowing them to learn better through their own approach. So let me give you a couple of examples. Please. So one example would be, hey, please update the spreadsheet by cutting and pasting columns A through D and then moving them to between F and G and then cross-checking columns B and F. An alternative to that task description would be, hey, can you please update the spreadsheet and make sure that all the data is accurate? Now, those two examples might basically say the exact same thing, but the first example is a lot more prescriptive than the second one, right? So the first one sort of focuses on the details of how, whereas the second one focuses on more on the what and the final objective. Now, this might be an oversimplified example, but the idea here is, again, to focus on the what and not the how and not be too prescriptive with uh, what your employee should be doing.
0: And there's a key distinction here of like ownership and agency over it, right? Because if I detail out every step that you're supposed to take, first of all, there's no learning there, right? There's just execution. But it's also not mine. You know, it's not, or I should say it's not yours. It's not the person I've delegated to. I'm just executing someone else's instructions. But if I instead detail out what are the goals, then that person has agency and ownership to create the the how they do the project, the way they want to do it, the process they're going to use in order to achieve those goals. They have a lot more ownership, agency and investment in it and engagement than they would
1: if they're just following a checklist. Absolutely, absolutely. And even a part of that is, as part of describing goals and not actions, to reinforce that you want to confirm their commitment to results and the way you accomplish this is by focusing on what their success means so what their what the end goal is and then how this assignment will benefit them right so it's not just what benefits you but what benefits them so you know for example you can say something like your success with this assignment means that you'll get me the following Things you know, a PowerPoint presentation that's ready for me to share on the monthly call without having to double check the financial information, but that this assignment will give you the chance to see the details of our business and learn how they affect big decisions, right? So you always also want to use how this benefits your subordinate and not just be clear on the overall goals. And I know it's not always possible to do
0: that in every situation. You know, if you're literally, for example, updating a spreadsheet, right? It it, there may not be the big picture connection, but what you just said, Hasan, like, I think is huge and something that I, what I've seen people do is so cool and so many people don't do it. Of They know kind of where their employee wants to go, either within the company or their own professional goals, maybe even outside the organization, three, four years down the road, and they find a way to link up those long-term goals with the Current assignment they're giving them, and say, "Hey, you know, I know you want to start your own business someday. You're going to be going through this process and this assignment to review the budget. Here's some of the things I want you to, while you're doing the work, pay attention to because this is going to help you to develop a skill set that's going to help you down three to four years down the road. And thing I know you also want to do. And and people who do that, like it's really amazing, like how it changes someone's level of engagement.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, and a lot of managers sometimes think about the. Idea of delegation as being one-sided—that hey, I need to offload work so that I can, you know, free up my time to focus on more strategic tasks. But this also helps your employees develop in their own carriers and become, you know, managers one day. So it it is a two-way sort of relationship, and the the skills that they gain from learning what you do and what you offload is going to help them develop and and sort of. That paradigm shift is really important throughout the delegation process and not just at the beginning, right? So as part of your reinforcement and check-ins and so on and so forth, it's really important to continuously highlight that for them.
0: We had an episode recently with uh, Jim Harder from Gallup talking about some of Gallup's most recent findings on the changing nature of work. and One of the biggest shifts uh, in the global workforce is that people really want professional development. They are showing up and expecting that in their organizations. And if they don't get it, especially in this economy, they're going to go find other opportunities. And this is delegation, a huge opportunity to do professional development, right? And to also put together the links for people of saying, hey, you know, this is long term, where you where you want to go, these are the next steps, here's a way to do that and make those connections. So it's, like you said, I think like a lot of times we get in that mindset of like, how do I offload a task or I'm overwhelmed or whatever, and we miss the big picture. And it doesn't if, if we've done the thinking in advance, it doesn't take that long to make that intentionality clear for both you and for them.
1: Definitely. And you know, this helps them get the level of exposure and experience. And what better way to get professional development than learning on the job, right? Learning tasks that your superior is responsible for and then getting some of that accountability on your plate. So another couple of key things that you advocate
0: for when having this meeting is having checkpoints, and also setting
1: limits. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So another common issue with delegation is that managers are usually not very specific about a deadline for a task, right? So you want to give clear timelines because that will minimize confusion and motivate them to get things done. And one best practice is to be specific on deadlines. I'm a big proponent of uh, using clear language when it comes to that. So for example, if you say something like, hey, please complete this task in the next few days, well, next few days might be construed in different ways by different people. You know, To one person, it might mean five, and to another, it might mean 15, right? So you, you do want to be very particular about a deadline and say something like, please complete this task by Thursday, June 9th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, right? And if that deadline is way too far out, you can set soft deadlines, right? To kind of just reduce any potential risks. And you're too worried about them not, you know, completing the task on time. So you kind of set a day or two earlier to to give yourself a grace period. But more important than the deadlines is the scheduled checkpoints, right? And those are basically intermediate checkpoints to, ch- to connect with your subordinate and ensure that things are going well. So it's like meetings to go over what has been accomplished up to that point. And the difference between checkpoints and, and soft deadlines is that checkpoints are about checking in along the way to see how things are progressing, whereas soft deadlines are about giving you a time buffer to make any necessary corrections before the actual deadline. And I'm a big proponent of both, right? checkpoints and, ty- and soft deadlines, but a best practice from a checkpoint standpoint is to start out with more frequent ones and then decrease them over time right? So scheduling at least two or three checkpoints throughout your task assignment so that you can interject and correct things early on. And if it's a really long-term task, then I would still also recommend that you check in weekly. And then as you progress and build trust with your subordinate, your checkpoints can be spread further apart or even eliminated if you need
0: to. So a newer person, first time doing something, you're going to have more checkpoints. And I'm guessing also there's a question of visibility here too that if they happen to be working on something that's a pretty high visibility project for the organization or for a customer that even if it's a more experienced person you may have a few more of those checkpoints than you might in a "quote unquote" normal situation
1: definitely i mean the the task complexity and the task impact you know if things don't go well things are going to blow up would dictate how frequently you need to you know set up those checkpoints and how how early on you need to kind of just Make sure that things are going well so that you have enough time to course correct. I think it's a really good antidote for micromanagement
0: too because if you do what you're saying, which is if the at the point where you're delegating the work, not while well, the work's being done, if you set up those checkpoints of when we're going to check in and you explain to someone, hey, we're going to check in because it's a high visibility project or because it's the first time you're doing it, then when you check in, and you meet every couple of days or whatever you've decided if you've agreed in advance it's it's not micromanagement it's just we're doing what we said we were going
1: to do right precisely precisely and that it definitely helps with the avoiding the micromanaging you know breathing down your neck type <laughs> type management right because that gives them the room to breathe and work on the task before they get back to you and check in so uh, it helps that way as well what does setting limits mean I'm glad you asked this question because I think the the biggest takeaway about delegation is, and, and the biggest complexity in delegation, is to describe the right authority levels. And taking a step back just to explain why. So as a leader, you are ultimately accountable for your subordinates' work, right? And so... Clearly, setting the levels of authority is important because you do want to empower your employee to make their decisions, their own decisions, without them overstepping their bounds, right? Because if they do, then it's it's your head that rolls, not to sound morbid. But basically, you are accountable to making sure the work gets done. But you also want to make sure that you give them the, the right limits so that they don't overstep without coming to you first. Now, you also don't want to go to the other extreme where they go to you with every single question because that's debilitating and you don't end up effectively delegating. You really want to empower them to do so. So, setting clear limits is about setting limits on your subordinates' decision-making power to avoid any negative repercussions. And this is a lot trickier than it sounds because limits on authority can be subjective and ambiguous. And your employee might run into a lot of unknowns and circumstances that are unforeseen, which complicates things further. So the best way for me to explain how to set clear limits is to give you an example. So let's say you have a budget for a marketing campaign and you want to give that budget to your subordinate. One way would be to say, Sam, the budget for this project is $7,500 and leave it at that. An alternative way of saying it while setting clear limits is to say, Sam, the budget for this project is $7,500. You are free to use this money at your own discretion for reasonable purchases without asking me first. However, when you use up the first $2,000, I'd like to do a quick review of the expenses with you before the rest of the budget is used up.
0: Ah, got it.
1: So that way, what we're doing is you're setting a lot more clear and defined boundaries on what those limits are right and that sort of verbiage and that example helps define where they can use that budget as long as it's reasonable and then what the checkpoint needs to be to do a review and it's really in alignment
0: with what you said earlier too of goals not actions of you're you're framing the boundaries the expectations the limits so that you're not going off the rails if something doesn't quite go right but at the same time within the boundaries of those, you're not micromanaging. You're giving the person agency and ownership
1: to make the decisions uh, that they need to make in order to get to the objectives. Exactly. And in addition to that, what I'd like to point out is that you do want to define what I call a guidance process. So what you want to avoid is having your subordinate come to you with every single question. And the way you can you can avoid that is to come up with, with this guidance process. And this basically helps avoid the constant interruptions you might otherwise get if you didn't send some some ground rules. And the way you do that is through options that they think they should think through before they reach out to you. And it's a three-step process. Basically, ask them to think through potential options. Step two is to come up with a recommendation. And step three is to explain why that recommendation is best. Mm-hmm. And... This process makes it a lot easier on you because you won't have to do all those steps on their behalf, right? So, for example, let me give you a, a, a way in which this works. I can say, you know, Emily, when you're deciding on which application we should use for this project, and you're not comfortable making a decision yourself, please send me a short list of applications, your recommendation of what you think we should use, and why you think that's the best option, mm-hmm. right? So, so the beauty of this process is that it forces your subor- subordinate to Put some thought into those decisions before they come to you, and that way you're you also part of you know describing the authority level and setting clear limits for them. So you might uh, very appropriately still be part of the final decision, but
0: the agency, the work, and also the professional development experience that the, that person's having of going through that work and that process and making those
1: recommendations,
0: that's still happening.
1: Right. And they develop their critical thinking skills because now when they go through this process three-step process and think through options and recommendation and why, they're developing that leadership muscle when they come to you and you make a decision, they get to learn at a macro level how you make those decisions and what other questions you might have for them that they didn't think about before. One of the
0: things that I really like in the book, and by the way, you're not kidding about it being really short. I think I read the book in 30 minutes or 35 minutes or something, and (laughs) and it's it's super concise and simple to follow. And one of the things that I really liked was the follow-up email that you sent. So you do use email, but you use it at the end of that meeting of just summarizing what's been said. Tell me a little bit about what that should
1: look like, that summary email after the conversations happen. Right, and they do want to reinforce that it's after, right? So we talked earlier about the fact that you don't want to start out with an email. You have the conversation, you have the meeting, talk through it, get some sense of whether they understand it. And then what I like to use is just a simple template, right? And by the way, as part of the book, it's funny you mentioned you were done with it in half an hour. Someone said that, hey, I read it during my lunch break and I still had enough time for lunch. So <laughs> <That's laughs> It awesome. is It is one of the shortest books I've ever written and I'm glad you, you were able to finish it in half an hour. But the template is part of the book. You actually get this template. You can download it. But at a high level, the standard template looks like this. I have a section called task description which explains in a very clear and direct way what the task is about, what you're looking for, and include any additional information such as format or content or any tools that your subordinate might, might need. And then after that section in the email, I have the main goal. So I'll have a main goal section, which covers two phrases, basically. Your success means... dot dot dot, and then the end goal. And then this assignment will dot, 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 and then what the benefit is to the employee, right? So what the success, what success means, like defining the goal and not the actions, and then how this assignment will benefit them. And then the third section in the email would be the timeline. So I spell out the section, or I should say the timeline on any specific deadlines or any intermediate checkpoints. So I'll say, you know, the, the deadline for this is June 10th, but we'll set a soft deadline on June 9th. And then we'll have two intermediate checkpoints in on May fifteenth and May twenty seventh, right? Something like that. And then the fourth section is the authority level. So this is where you know I'll set clear limits and explain that three step guidance process, right? I'll tell them if you you know have any recommendations, list them out, and tell me which recommendation you select and and why. And then finally, in the last section, any additional material that they might helpful, you know, attachments. Maybe I did a demonstration for them over a recording on Webex, for example. Anything that can help them with their task delegation would be in there. So that's basically it. A very simple template with those five sections. And I use that as an email follow-up so that I don't forget any one of those sections. And they can have a one-stop shop that they go back to. The thing that is coming up for me,
0: just thinking about this whole conversation we've had, on, is that the work hasn't started yet. That this whole process we've just been through as a manager is thinking through for ourselves what we want, who's the right person, going through the process, having this meeting, defining the work, setting the limits, following up afterwards to make sure it's documented. And the the thing that I think is a, a big mistake that new managers make for sure, and and even some experienced managers, is that they don't make that mindset shift of now the work of management, or at least in the role of delegation, is... My work is helping to define the work. It's not doing the work. So this is the work, right, for a manager. Mm -hmm. This is the work to really go through and spend the time doing this. You know, it it might be 60 or 70% of the work on this project for the manager is before the work ever starts. And that that's also, but it's really important work to do. Like that's the call of management for all of us is to spend time in the space to make these things really clear. And if we do that and we spend a little bit of time and energy of going through the process you've described here, we are going to save so much time in the long run for people in clarity and communications and things not going right. We've all had a manager delegate something to us that was not at all clear and come back with something that wasn't in alignment because they didn't do these things. It's just a reminder to
1: me of like the importance of investing the time here. Right. And investing that time ahead of time is going to save you a lot of headaches down the line right and this is why it's important to do all that legwork and try to guide your your subordinate on everything they might need from the get go and it's going to pay dividends So the book
0: is called Effective Delegation of Authority. We're going to have a link to it in this week's weekly leadership guide. It's a great review for all of us who have had experience managing. And I also think if you're the person who's listening to this thinking like, hey, I've got this down. I do this pretty well. This is also a really great guide for the new manager that you're mentoring or leading and helping them to really get a good framework around this. So, Hassan, thank you so much for bringing this resource. And 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 I and I actually want to ask you two other things really quick. Mm-hmm. So, you are a full-time project manager. You work for a really large organization and you this is your 10th book, right? Correct? Yes, it is my 10th book. <laughs> <laughs> so, the interesting thing that I'm wondering about is, you know, a lot of people have this desire to write, to do something on the side, to maybe start a blog, to write more articles on LinkedIn. I mean, we have folks in our academy who are leaning into this a bit of wanting to, you know, they they love what they do and they're going to continue doing what they do, but they also want to do some more writing. I'm just curious, like, how have you done this? Like, in, in all the responsibilities you've got, how have you arrived at a point where
1: you've got 10 books now? I got this question so much, Dave, that I actually started a podcast called Writer on the Side. And I did that because I wanted to share my journey of writing short books for busy managers. That's what I do as part of my hobby in the weekends, weeknights. And writing has been such an amazing exercise, not just for, you know, publishing and writing books, but also for developing my critical thinking skills. And to your audience who's interested, you know, they work full-time jobs and are interested in writing, I cannot recommend it enough for developing your your communication style and developing your thought process. Uh, you can check it out on writerontheside.com forward slash podcast, where I have all the sorts of links to Apple Podcasts and Google Play and the rest of the platforms. Well, that's awesome. Good for you for
0: doing all that. So we'll, we'll link up to all of that as well. And I know we have folks in our audience who are really wanting to do a little bit more writing and that'll be a, just a great resource for them. So congrats on on, on all of that. It's, a, it's super exciting to see what you've done with it. And so last question, as you've been going through this journey as a leader, as a writer, uh, as a manager over the last few years, and you've been getting things out into the world what have you changed your mind on? because of course, leaders are always learning and growing, right? So, as you look back what's what's different about your thinking now than was a few years ago?
1: I love that question, Dave. and really it's it's hard to kind of pinpoint it to one thing. but the first thing that comes to mind is that I think my communication style improved where I'm a lot less verbose today than I used to be. And the reason why is and this is sort of a tongue in cheek comment that I think everyone these days has ADD, or Attention Deficit Disorder. And the reason why is because we're just bombarded with different communication modes every single day. Text messages, email, uh, social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, what have you. And so people have very short attention spans. And so as part of my own communication style with my leadership team, I had to put a lot more effort into being as precise and concise as possible, right? You want to think short sentences, strong verbs, and get to the point as fast as possible because otherwise people doze off and really be a lot more di- direct with what you want uh, while being diplomatic, which is a very hard skill to do. And uh, I'm, I'm still learning. I think there's still a long, long way to go. Hassan Osman is the author of Effective Delegation of
0: Authority, a really short book for new managers about how to delegate work using a simple delegation process. Hassan, always a pleasure. Thank you so much, Dave. After we wrapped up the recording, Hassan mentioned to me that this week on Amazon, his book is 99 cents. Just this week, though. So if you are picking this up the week it airs, hop on Amazon and grab it, even if you're not going to read it right away. I'm also going to put the link in this week's weekly leadership guide for those of you who receive that directly so you can grab it as well. And if you're not already getting the weekly leadership guide, it's one of the benefits of your free membership on the website. Just go over to coachingforleaders.com and activate that. More details on that in just a moment. Now, some of the related episodes to today's conversation, if this was useful to you, uh, here's a few conversations you're going to want to dive into as well. I'd recommend, first of all, episode 284, The Way to Stop Rescuing People from Their Problems. With Michael Bungay Stanier, the best selling author of The Coaching Habit. We talked about the problem that a lot of leaders have when they delegate something, which is people come back and say, Ooh, I've run into a problem or uh, had an unanticipated situation happen or I'm not sure what to do. And a lot of us, because we like to be helpful because, as Hassan talked about earlier in this conversation, we were often the best person at that particular job previously before we got moved into the management role, will jump in and very well-intentioned help. But we end up rescuing people from the problems and not teaching them and coaching them and helping them to develop Their own skill set, as we talked about today. Uh, How to avoid that on episode 284. If that is you and you tend to jump in and rescue people too quickly, episode 284 is a must listen for you. Also, I'd recommend episode 306 Five Steps to Hold People Accountable with Jonathan Raymond. During that episode, we talked about how to really frame accountability. So when things aren't quite working, and if that happens in the context of delegation, where do you start? And you start with the mention, as Jonathan talked about in that episode. And then there's five key steps to walk through. By the way, you can not only use that in the tough situations, but you can also use that in recognition. It's a model that works both ways. So if you're looking for a great framework for that, I I know of no better framework for accountability than Jonathan Raymond's on episode 306. And then finally, I'd recommend go and listen to the last conversation with Hassan in episode 234. Start Influencing virtual teams. Of course, so many of us are working virtually these days. My entire job, in fact, in uh, hosting the Coaching Fleeters podcast and facilitating the academy is almost entirely virtual. As I know many of you, that is the case as well. But even if it's not entirely virtual, almost certainly you have people on your team that are virtual, people who report to you, people you report to. Uh, Lots of strategies in episode 234 on how to navigate in the virtual world and how to influence effectively. All of those episodes you can find at the coachingforleaders.com website, including the entire archive of episodes we've aired since 2011, and this particular episode is under the topic area of management skills. Of course, delegation is a key management skill for all of us. If you want to dive in on more episodes we have in under management skills, uh, set up your free membership by going to coachingforleaders.com. It's going to give you access to all of the past episodes searchable by topic, the weekly leadership guide, the free audio course, uh, the access to my own personal life for everything I've ever sent in a weekly guide also categorized by topic plus a ton more on the website. So just go over to coachingforleaders.com, activate that, and you will be off and running with the rest of us. Next week, I am glad to... uh, Actually, not next week. It's going to be Saturday. (laughs) The Saturday cast is back. I'm going to have one of our Academy members on the show. Her name is Bar Schwartz, and she's going to be sharing her story with us. She's out in Berlin. She's going to challenge us to have permission just to be ourselves. She's going to share a bit about her journey, what she's learned from the show, the Academy, and some great things she's doing in writing as well. So watch for that this coming Saturday. And of course, the next regular episode next Monday. Have a fabulous week. See you Saturday and Monday. And I look forward to our next conversation. Take care.